Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at puremtgo.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MDGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show, from YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. How's it going, everybody? It's about 10.45, Sunday, April 12th, 2020. Happy Easter to those of you who are who celebrate, and to those of you who don't. Happy Sunday. Enjoy your day. Uh, my name is Adam, and welcome into the very nice 69th trip down the homeward path. This is my show. I'm talking about the, the perils of playing magic on a time or financial budget and what that means for those of us who do it. We are, it's, it's about the, the struggles of the people kind of on the front lines of magic, the FNM heroes, the, the low level ladder grinders. Those of you who are just getting into magic and are maybe looking to take your game from kitchen table to the next level, you're looking to level up and then find better content. I don't blame you. Uh, but that's what I'm about here. I don't have a I don't have a snarky mechanical joke along the lines of what I had last week. So we'll move on and we'll go ahead and whip over into the fast lane this week. This is where I kind of touch upon some bullet points or just kind of share something largely unrelated to the main topic. And this week, I don't want to do an Ikoria set review because Mason has already done a fantastic job with that. So I want to give everybody a little bit of an update on how things are going here at home in the midst of the, the COVID crisis. So for those of you who don't know, I work in a factory in here in, in rural West Tennessee. I don't like to give super specific information just because, you know, bad people are out there. But I work in a factory here in rural West Tennessee that makes barbecue sauces and marinades. And we were deemed an essential critical infrastructure industry by the governor of Tennessee. What that means is I have not been off work yet. Now, we've had a couple of potential scares. We've had some employees that were tested, but none of them came back positive. One of them, you know, before all of this started, had gone to see her brother that Friday and then they tested him because he spiked a fever randomly in the middle of the week. So she went and got herself tested and that started a little bit of a scare at home. We had another couple of employees that were that were sick from other unrelated issues, but because they spiked a fever, they ended up getting tested. Both of them ended up negative. And while everybody else in the country is trying to slow down, lay off, whatever, we're ramping up production and I've been working an average of 50 hours a week for the last month. I'm exhausted. But this is one of my few escapes from work and home, so I'm going to continue to bring this show to you. Uh, on the magical front of the, the quarantine life, I've been trying to optimize some of the decks that I've been building on Arena. Notably, I've been playing a lot of blue-black control 
the the blue black board control deck trying to kind of sharpen the numbers on it because it feels really good when everybody's playing to the board and you're the only deck in standard other than team erect that just does it you know even blue white control plays to the board with archon of sun's grace and dream trawler and i just don't we play planeswalkers and that's it I think now I've moved, I've shifted the list around a little bit to include uh, Brazen Borrowers and I think a couple of Murderous Riders. But by and large, we are still very firmly in the camp of not playing heavily to the board. We want to blank as many of our opponent's creature removal spells as possible. We want to play as many creature removal spells as possible on our end and then be able to sideboard effectively against the handful of decks that don't play to the board. It's a very linear strategy for a control deck, but I love it. So I've been having a lot of fun with it. Uh, beyond that, uh, one of the decks that I'm looking at, I'm eyeing really hard, but I probably won't get around to building, is Grixis Fires Cavaliers. Uh, notably, what was the card I was going to play? can't remember what card I was going to play now. But it was going to be... Uh, oh, what was it? For the life of me, I cannot remember what the name of that card was. Some small creature, anyway. I can't remember. But it was, it was going to be something that I could buy back with uh, Cavalier of Night. Maybe it was just playing like Bone Crusher and Raisin Borrower, I genuinely can't remember. But, turns out I don't have the wild cards to finish the deck. I have exactly one Cavalier of Flame, zero Cavalier of Night, and one Cavalier of Gales, and five Mythic Wild Cards prior to Ikoria. So I'm not burning every single rare and Mythic Wild Card I have to not finish a deck. So as much as I would like to bring that one to you, it is not on the agenda for now. And we'll talk we'll talk more about my magic online plans here in a minute. But I think standards in a healthy place, even though there's a lot of complaints going around about, you know, the, the green decks are too powerful and the red decks are too powerful and there's not enough there's not enough staying power for control decks. I think Maybe that's a little oversold, but as the format becomes more and more interested in tapping out and playing to the board, I honestly think a tap-out control deck that makes its sole focus controlling the board, as long as you aren't dead, you're okay. That's the, the basic premise behind what I'm talking about here. You know, the, uh, the idea that you have to control literally everything is laughable. I think it's a lot easier to control one aspect of gameplay and then sideboard for the ones that don't play into it. And I keep saying it, but I guess I'm just going to have to like try to go on a run to end the month in order to prove it to everybody. But if you can take away the field reliably... You've got a chance. And the other benefit to decks like these, like the blue-white, like a blue-white deck that's built around board control and putting the game away, you know, trying to turn the corner, or the blue-black deck that I've been working on, 
they're simple. They're easily executable control decks. You curve with your opponent and you just kind of try to out try to answer what they do. For all the bluster about how powerful the standard format is, the only deck you're really scared of if you're operating primarily at sorcery speed as a control deck is Jeskai Fires. Because that deck can just kill you out of nowhere. You know, blue-white control with Teferi, they have to deal with Teferi before they can use Wilderness Reclamation in a meaningful way. So you even help improve on one of the bad matchups that the blue-black deck has. Although the blue-black deck can just sideboard up to eight discard spells and uh, stuff like Thought Distortion and Unmoored Ego, and you're still probably okay. You take the battle from the battlefield to the hand and then retain some amount of removal because, frankly, you just can't board everything out. But... That's kind of what I've got going on behind the scenes. What I've got going on, that's, that's the quarantine life. I'm working, I'm staying at home, and I'm playing as much magic as I can without cutting too badly into the limited amount of family time that I have. So, sliding over, let's get into the slow lane. Let's slow things down. And I want to talk about Magic Online this week. Because it's a very daunting program to get into if you've never played Magic in a digital format at all, or if the only Magic you've ever played is on Arena. And I have a unique experience when it comes to Magic Online, because this currently I'm in the process of the third time that I've started from scratch, so to speak. Uh, the first time being in 2011, when the, the crowds at the LGS were dying down, you know, a lot of... A lot of the college people were either moving on to other schools or they graduated and were moving on with their lives. And that's largely what the town I live in is about. It's about, it's a, it's a college town. It's why the store has been able to stay open, but it also means the community is sometimes kind of hard to come by because you build one and then everybody moves on to bigger and better things. And I don't blame them. So I ended up starting Magic Online then because I just didn't get to play as much as I wanted to. And then going from Magic Online in that regard, you know, I started with, with the $10 entry and I probably spent more money than I should have. What I ended up doing is I traded a bunch of stuff in, got it on, uh, traded a bunch of paper cards in. I can't remember where I traded them in, but I got it as a... A PayPal deposit, I think. And then turned around and put that into Magic Online. And that was during the year of Callblade, so I played a ton of budget-friendly Callblade because Jace the Mind Sculptor was also still astronomically expensive on Magic Online. But I played a lot of Squadron Hawk and Stoneforge Mystic and Swords decks until I couldn't. And then I just played a lot of uh, played a lot of Splinter Twin because it was gross. And shortly after all of that, like as Magic Online became harder to justify, it was that summer that we did the the beta testing for the format that eventually became Modern. 
And then I just, I, I decided I couldn't do it anymore. I, that's, it was after that that I took my break from magic entirely. So when I started back up in 2016, one of the easiest ways for me to play magic again was just to pull up my old magic online account. And that's what I did. At first I played uh, red, black, aggro, sort of, it was weird. Not very great, but we cheesed out some wins because players at that point were used to playing against company and uh, delirium, and they were not accustomed to fighting through swarms of small, mopey little creatures just bashing their face in and trying to finish them off with burn like Collective Defiance and Incendiary Flow. And then I bought into Red White Vehicles, played Red White Vehicles for a while. By trading out some of the older stuff that I'd had on the account, I was more interested in playing Standard than I was in playing like Modern with the cards that I'd had. So I traded out of those, got a bunch of stuff for Standard, built the Red White Vehicles deck, and then they banned Smuggler's Copter. I got to enjoy it for like two weeks. And I just said, the heck with it. I'm playing more Paper Magic than I am online. So I traded the contents of the account to a friend of mine in exchange for some paper cards. And we shut the account down. There's literally nothing on it. No personal information. So I moved on. He moved on. We were happy. And now, thanks to the sponsorship from Pure MTGO, I am in the process of starting Magic Online again. And in so doing, I'm kind of having to go through this process again, evaluating the pros and cons of Magic Online and figuring out the best way to get started. So I wanted to talk about the pros and cons first because, frankly, they're, they're, they're worth covering. One of the first and most prominent pros of playing Magic Online is that your investment in the game has tangible value compared to Arena. In Arena, if you buy a bunch of gems and then you spend those gems on a bunch of packs or you spend those gems on cosmetics, you never get anything back from that unless you know someone does a tournament series and you win that. You're constantly building for progress, but you're not really getting anything back from it just by playing the game. Other than gold that allows you to buy more packs and move on and keep going up, which makes it a great model as a free-to-play game, but it's not very good when you want to dump a bunch of money into it. Because for me, when I want to dump a bunch of money into something, I want to get some of that money back at some point and then be able to hang on to the value of what I bought into as something I can treat as a, a liquid asset down the line. You know, if things get hairy at home, finances become a problem. With Magic Online, I, I may not get all of my value back, but I will at least get enough back that I can offset the issues that I'm going through and then eventually come back to it, right? You know... There's a full-on secondary market because players are allowed to trade cards with each other and event tickets and whatever else. So there's an actual full-on economy around Magic Online. 
this, you know, the capitalist utopia because it is supply versus demand. The higher the, the higher the demand and the lower the supply, the higher the price. So you get to see all the, the, the good and the bad of capitalism when it comes to Magic Online's economy. Somebody artificially creating a price spike. Somebody artificially creating a price bottoming out by dumping a bunch of cards. Uh, cards that are not opened very heavily being more expensive even though they're not necessarily very good. All of that is true in Magic Online just like it is in paper. And that's one of the cons. It's, it's not free. As much as I like that the investment into the game has a tangible value, I don't like that I have to make one. You know, even getting started, you have to buy the Magic Online premium account in order to access tournament play. You don't have to do that with Arena. You don't have to spend anything on Arena. You just jump in and get to work. The other thing for Magic Online, another pro, another feather in the cap, is access to a variety of formats to play with. And within that variety of formats, there's also a full-on tournament structure that is just very effective at giving you something really meaningful to do. And I like that. I like that a lot. Getting It gives you a way to get value back out of your cards because you can use them to play tournaments within the client at any given time. You know, whether it's leagues and you're trying to collect a bunch of treasure chests or whatever, right? So you can do work toward getting the return on your investment just by putting a little bit more in and going going into these leagues or events. By comparison, I mean, the downside to that with the variety of formats, it's difficult to know what to get, which format to buy into. Uh, you have a you have a sense of deck mobility, which is nice. The ability to kind of bounce around from deck to deck is as things change and formats shift. But it ties back into the first point: this game ain't free. You don't you don't you don't do that for for nothing. You you got to spend some kind of resource in order to move around. Although thanks to subscription services like Mana Traders and Card Hoarder, that problem has been mitigated pretty heavily by the ability to just give money to someone and be able to get the deck you need for the event that you need it for. And the wide variety of formats compared to Arena, you know, Arena gives you standard, brawl, bad draft, and sealed versus... Magic Online gives you uh, standard, pioneer, modern, legacy, vintage, basically any limited format you can dream of, including cubes, commander, dual commander. I mean, the, the, the sky is basically the limit when it comes to the type of format you want to play on, on Magic Online. But all of that comes with the next caveat, which is the struggle of dealing with Magic Online's interface. 
the first time I played Magic Online, I got used to it, and it was something that didn't bother me a ton. But having played a bunch of Arena and then come back to Magic Online, I can tell you one very important thing. Clicking through everything you do on Magic Online is a pain in the butt. There's really not getting any around any, anywhere. There's really not getting any around around that. I can't English today. Brain, not not functional. There's really not getting around. Not any getting around that. It's just it's tedious. And the fact of the matter is, combine the fact that you have to click through every single iteration. Every time you cast a spell, you have to tap mana for it manually. Every time you. Uh, you have triggers. You have to assign the targets manually, even if there's only one legal target. And you have something that... You combine that with the chess clock system on Magic Online, where when you start a game or a match, you have a timer that starts going off every time you gain priority. And while you can create shortcuts, just the amount of effort that goes into it is a bit of a pain in the butt. And there are several decks that you just cannot play on Magic Online because you are playing against the clock much more than you are playing against your opponent. A deck like Teamer Reclamation in Standard or KCI before it was banned in Modern are really good examples of decks who were really good, but they're not viable in Magic Online competition, so they didn't take off very heavily. And... A large portion of the metagame was kind of ignored because you couldn't play it. You couldn't practice it reliably. I mean, yeah, you can jump into a test game with a friend and that's all well and good, but you don't get the experience of grinding it through a tournament ahead of time. You just don't. And that's not good. That's not good at all. So... You know, it is what it is. You know, that's one of the one of the downsides to the program for sure, compared to having access to the the auto tapper and the ease of the targeting system on Arena. Just you know, Arena is clearly designed to take away the mistakes that were made in the design of Magic Online, and it definitely shows when you switch back to Magic Online. But all of that said, there is one thing that is both a pro and a con of Magic Online that you really can't beat with uh, with Arena. And that is the ability to play with, or the ability to interact directly with your opponent. Which is to say the ability to talk with your opponent on Magic Online. There's the, the chat box. And that is both a pro and a con because, quite frankly, I love interacting with my opponent. I love being able to talk to my opponent. But I hate some. I hate the way some of the people feel that you know you get the ability to talk to your opponent, but they don't really know who you are. They can't see you. They can't look you in the eye. And it creates this situation where you feel emboldened to be horrible to people. 
So while I like the ability to talk to my opponents, it's largely going to be reserved for people that I already know. Rather than it being something that I take full advantage of all the time, because I've, I'm just like the rest of you on Twitter. I've seen the screenshots of people being horrible in MTGO chat, and I don't want any part of that. And especially like coming after somebody after the game is over, that's not okay. It's just not. So when it comes to getting started in Magic Online, where's the best place to start? Well, obviously you go online, download the client, upgrade to the premium account or whatever it is they call it now, so that you can go in and get, you know, be able to take full advantage of everything on the program. All of that is completely, completely and perfectly well understood. What's the next step? Where do you where do you go from there? Well, for me, this time around, I'm kind of emulating what I did the last time when I came back in 2016 briefly. I'm just going to try to do a better job of managing the 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 good and the bad of it. Notably, I'm trying I went in, I started off by buying a simple, effective, aggressive deck. I got mono red aggro for standard and the vast majority of mono red, uh, big red in pioneer. They're simple decks to play. They're effective. They're sometimes powerful. They're very rarely going to be the best deck, but they're also very rarely going to be the worst. And that's a good space to occupy when you're just getting started. Play something that's simple that doesn't have a lot of click through to deal with. You mitigate the client issues as you get used to them. You don't have to spend a lot of capital on mana bases. Definitely has its advantages. Compared to, you know, Arena, you... I don't want to talk about the arduous process of getting started on Arena. I love Arena, but I'm super glad I don't have to start it from scratch right now. It would be a very daunting task. And obviously, I am coming at this from a place of, dare I say, privilege, thanks to the sponsorship from Pure MTGO. They make it really easy for me to play MTGO, but I'm not going to try to rub that in anyone's faces. What I did is I got my first round of credits, and I get uh, 20 credits per episode that they publish. And that turns into a gift certificate for that dollar amount from MTGO Traders. Again, I'm, I'm a firm believer in being transparent, open, and honest about how I am getting what I am getting and what I am using it for. Because being on the record about these kinds of things makes it a lot easier to answer questions down the line. I can just point you to a section of an episode. But we started with... I think I cashed in 80 credits and I got the standard mono red. And uh, if I didn't get all of pioneer big red, I got most of it, but I got the whole standard mono red deck. And I think I ended up getting like mono blue tempo stuff. I, I genuinely cannot remember what all I like, what all I ended up getting because the only thing I've done is play mono red on there so far. And what that 
what that allows me to do now for the time being until I am done with it is every time I make a cash in from Pure MTGO, I'm going to be getting lands. I'm going to lay the foundation as completely as possible and just get all the lands that I would need for Standard and Pioneer. We're going to start with the obvious ones, shock lands, temples, check lands, um, the, the battle lands, the fast lands, the enemy pain lands, so on and so forth. We're going to get those first. We're just going to get all the color fixing lands first. Then we're going to start looking at utility lands. We're going to look at, you know, alternate mana base building tactics, like getting colorless sources in order to play the Eldrazi. Just get all the lands first. Because I have a deck to play. Like, I don't have to hurry up and build a deck. I have a deck that I like that I like to play. So I'm going to play that. And use whatever I get from that to help speed up the process of getting all these lands. And then once I get the lands fleshed out, once I have basically the ability to build whatever color of deck that I need, the plan is to start using whatever I get from the Pure MTGO sponsorship to work in a, a, a budget segment into the fast lane. Which is to say, I want to do budget magic in a different way. Everybody else that does budget magic, whether it's goldfish, whether it's uh, people that play on, you know, people that stream it, they like to do budget magic. They set a hard dollar amount for if you have none of the cards in the deck, lands included, here's how much it costs, and here's how we can upgrade it to a fully powered version. I don't like doing it that way. Because for me, the lands are not something that, that hampers your budget. If you can get into a budget deck to start with, you can use whatever other budget you are bringing in to get your lands. Lands are the most important part of your, your collection building, and as such should be a major part of what you're doing, a major part of your acquisition plan. And once you get the lands, then you can start getting into deck cores that don't cost a lot. And then you can upgrade from there. And that's largely what I've been doing in paper. So I want to apply that same process to Magic Online. You know, in paper, I have a mana base situation in Standard and Pioneer where I can build any two or three color deck that does not include white. From a, from a mana base building standpoint, I can build any two or three color deck that does not include white. I just want to be able to build any color of deck that I want on, in Magic Online before I start trying to buy into deck cores. And then once the foundation is placed... Then we can start building up from there. A really good example of a deck to buy into right now on uh, Magic Online. Mono Blue Tempo is as cheap as it's ever been, ever, 
on Magic Online. I think it might cost $5 to build like the old standard version of that deck with some new cards. $5. Think about that for a minute. You can build a deck that will frustrate nearly every opponent you come up against for $5. That is something special. The ability to do that. That is, it's, it's the best kind of starting point, right? And if I could have taken that deck and ported it into standard, I definitely would be playing it right now. To a point, I want to play it in standard anyway. It would just have to splash white for staggering insight because we don't have Curious Obsession. Or Siren Storm Tamer or Dive. And it's probably bad in standard. No matter how much I want it to be. Pretty good. Like, Karametra's Blessing's fine, but if you're not overloaded with auras, it's bad. And then we just start getting into bad territory because then you have to buy lands to start up anyway. So again, Mono Blue Tempo and Pioneer is a solid place to start. Because your mana base is like 19 islands and two castle vantress. And then you play, you know, one, two, and three drops. The The starting point that I made for the deck in paper is definitely something you can do in uh, Magic Online. Tempest Gen is your three drop. It's not the optimal three drop. Brazen Borrower is definitely the optimal three drop. But Tempest Gen turns the corner really, really quick. So that gives you a good foundation. It gives you a way to explore the Pioneer format from a very specific style of play. It's also a style of play that isn't being super punished in Pioneer right now. Uh, the kind of deck that you match up very poorly against is like a really linear aggro deck. There's not a lot of those going on in Pioneer right now. A lot of the format is more interested in fighting Inverter and like the, the mid-range decks. And if they're playing, if they're tapping out four mana to cast a spell, you're, that's, that's what you're all about. You know, a deck that's really light on removal like Inverter. That you can then, you know, they, they resolve the first inverter. You can bounce it back to their hand. You can put it back on top of their library. Whatever. You can you can play the kind of game you need to and learn the, the rest of the format through the exercise of playing your deck. And that allows you to, you know, burn five tickets on a league. And if you 4-1, you, you get some stuff back. And you can put that stuff toward building another deck or toward what I'm talking about, toward mana base building, toward making sure you can play the next combination of colors. You know, maybe the mono blue tempo deck would be better off as a blue black tempo deck, but you got to have lands. You got to have, you know, you got to build your infrastructure first. You got to get your staples. Then you can start buying into these other cores. Now, a really good example of an infrastructure piece for like more mid rangey decks that play black before you start looking at really you know before you start looking really heavily at these kinds of decks maybe you ought to get your thought seizes suffer through a little while and get your thought seizes one at a time so that you have them and then you don't have to worry about them 
But that's the, the general premise behind my approach is keep it simple. Start with something that's effective. Start with something that's cheap and something that you enjoy playing and learning and use that to bridge you to the point where you can play whatever you want. And with that, we're going to, we're going to slow down. We're going to pull in and we're going to wrap things up. Uh, this has been Homeward Path. My name is Adam. If you got questions, comments, concerns, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Homeward Path MTG. You can find me on Facebook. My name is Adam Spain. You can find us in the Facebook group for the show, Homeward Path Finders. You can find the Patreon if you want to become a patron of the show. Uh, Patreon.com slash Homeward Path MTG. The show and every other major piece of content that I put out is always going to be free. But if you like what you're what you're hearing enough to help me keep making it, I will gladly put that to good use. Uh, patron rewards. One of the big ones is the ability to get access to the patron pathfinders discord at the low, low price of $1 per month. Again, if you don't have it, don't send it right now, especially I would much rather you make sure you can, you can get your meals, make sure you're well taken care of. than I would demand your money right now. I, I'm never that kind of a person. So, the and then last but not least of course while you are bouncing around the internet looking at all this stuff if you are check out our uh our home network constructedcriticism.com mason and Allie are doing great things spencer's still chugging right along with mythic cast kyle and ren are still doing great great work on uh, trailblazers just do it just go check it out And if you want to see everything in one place, along with additional fantastic magic content, head over to MTGO or not MTGO traders, uh, pure MTGO, our sponsor, check it out. Enjoy it. There's a lot of good stuff there. There's just a ton of good stuff there. And speaking of good stuff, it's time to slide into the last segment of the show. My favorite one every week, hashtag MTG dad jokes, because I mean, I just kind of force this these days. It's so much fun. Uh, the first is from at J13X on Twitter. says, I love the idea of the Wanderer just wandering into a set for a one-off card. The card in question being Blade Banish, where you're exiling a creature with power four or greater, and it has the Wanderer slicing someone in half. So love it. Uh, at Baytog, Rachel Agnes says, what deck fits your personality, not your favorite, but the one that epitomizes you, to which one of the replies was probably something like Bant Soulherder in Modern. I love to grind value, even if it isn't the most effective use of my time. To which Rachel replied, you could say your heart and soul is in it. Huh? 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 <laughs> love it. Love it. And oh, I missed one. Did I miss one? I think I did. Yeah, I missed a couple of them. That's one. Uh, Brian Sharp, a longtime listener of the show, tweeted one to me with a picture of pouncing Shore Shark and said, Hey, has Watsy jumped the shark with Ikoria? <laughs> yes, yes, they have. And it's okay. 
uh, Shivambot, EDH enthusiast, one of my favorite people to follow, one of my favorite follows on Twitter, says an otter, and it's totally reasonable and playable compared to Lutri, who was immediately banned in Commander. Uh, Thieving Otter is, you know, deals one when it deals combat damage or deals damage to an opponent. Draw a card. I said, I mean, it ought to be good a good time at the very least. You all know what I'm about. To which Brian Canada says, I like this better th better than the Otter one. And Brian replied and said, I don't know what Otter options you have for card draw. There's a lot, but I I appreciate the effort. Uh, Brian Canada also says, it's my birthday, I'm an old guy, so here's my obligatory old guy MTG joke that no one will probably get. I gotta wonder if the new Planeswalker Luca lives on the seventh floor. And you are correct in that I have no idea what you're talking about. That joke is a little too old for me. Probably came from antiquities. Anyway, uh, next up we have Mark Rosewater, Tales from the Pit, number 2268. What do you call a fight between two helicogliders? The answer, a squirrel. I dig it. I'm here for it. Last but not least, Dave Humphrey says, or the, the question was posed by Jason Alt to Gavin Varhe. Why is it called mutate and not bestow? To which David Humphrey says, I like it. Perhaps in return to Ikoria, we could, <coughs> excuse me, factionalize the tribes with mechanics, although I'm struggling on dinos. We have mutate, M-E-W-T-A-T-E, cat, augmental, elemental, ah, dapt, nightmare, and bestow for beast. And there were many, many replies that made this thread just so good. But my initial reply is I said, this is utterly fantastic. Alexis Jansen says, I can't think of anything either. It's enraging. Sorry about the background noise. The rain has started coming down as I wait in line to pick up our lunch. Uh, we have Dino Storm, Dine Outlast, Entwinosaur, Dine Jutsu, Dine Overload, Shed Dino, Bushi Dino. <laughs> How about Chromosaur, Jurassic? Abanding doesn't even lend itself to good puns. God, that mechanic is terrible. Uh, thunderous brontosaurus is an iconic if non-existent species means thunder lizard and references monstrous <laughs> sar it's like horsemanship just another functionally identical version of flying <laughs> to which april king says i well now i'm hungry for some dino with sar kraut says how about dinara sar or dinosaur so i'll also counter pitch elementor Undinoing. There's a lot of them. Uh, just check the thread out. It's so good. That's all I got for this week, everybody. Again, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I know I enjoyed bringing it to you as always. And I'll sign off the way I have been for the last month or so. Especially in time, tri uh, trying times like these, but all the time. It's important to remember the words of wisdom brought to us by none other than Peter Capaldi, the 12th doctor, when he says, never be cruel, never be cowardly, 
Remember that hate is always foolish. Love is always wise. Always try to be nice, but never fail to be kind. So go forth, be kind, and I'll catch you next week. Stay safe.